Guess what date it is? King Kong Day. In some foreign land, maybe? Yes, that island, Skull Island, wherever King Kong is from, is King Kong Day. Yeah. But for us, guess what day it is? Uh, Jason Murders People Day. Yes, except for technically in this one, it's not Jason, it's his mom. Wait, why'd you give it away? People need want the mystery. Now you gave away the mystery. The movie came out in 1980. So? You can do spoilers 30, no, 42 years later. Little kids don't know this movie. All right, folks. We are reviewing Friday 13th from 1980. If you haven't seen that movie, I don't know what to tell you. Because this is going to be spoilers, heavy spoilers all throughout. The truth is, we can't be non-spoiler for a movie that's 42 years old. We just can't do it. And also, we're going to see if there's anything that makes any damn sense to this mystery that we've been given. Yes. And we're going to see if this is a Sherlock Holmes level mystery or Scooby-Doo level mystery or whatever's below Scooby-Doo level. You know, I got to say, I don't know. I was thinking about how relevant Jason is in today's pop culture and the cultural zeitgeist. I feel like even like five years ago, I feel like on Friday 13th, you would see a lot of stuff on Facebook and a lot of people would be talking about it. Today, I didn't really feel much of a presence of the Friday 30th holiday. Like, I didn't, nobody mentioned it. I didn't see any posts on Facebook about it. Has, it. has Jason become non, like, not really present in the pop culture anymore? Here's like, a question. Did you even did, get on Facebook today? I did for the specific reason. I was like, hey, oh. it's Friday 13th. You know, I'm subscribed to horror groups, like three of them. And I still don't think I saw anything that was out of the ordinary. Like, there was no Happy Friday 13th. Usually there's like a, hey, what movies are you guys watching today? What channel has the marathon? There's usually like a discussion going on. And that's with the horror groups. I didn't even see that. So, and then my, my non-horror movie friends even sometimes will be like, hey, because they never watch the movies, but they're like, they know I watch them a lot. So they're like, hey, which one's the best one? Which one should I watch? Nothing. Nada. Poor old, poor old Jason. No respect anymore. I'm like, has it has exited the culture's eye, guys? I mean, it, there's there hasn't been a new movie in a long time, so maybe it is just not a big deal anymore for it to be Friday Thirteenth. Also, another problem is Silent Killer. I'm sorry, Silent Killers are dead to the world nowadays. You need one of them cheeky comedy killers. Well, you get you can't really get fear out of someone who just stands there menacingly. Okay, but I got a... With a giant-ass machete that will cut you in half. But there's a very strong counterpoint to that, (laughs) which is that Michael Myers, Jason's uh, cousin almost, let's say, his metaphorical cousin, is the most popular... The the last two movies he did were the biggest slasher movies ever, so... Which still makes no damn sense to me. My point is, like, in in the cultural zeitgeist right now, it's Michael up here... And Jason way down there. And Freddy way down there. Well, Michael then took the crown. Well, the reason why Freddy's way down there is because no one can play Freddy anymore. Well, yeah, and also because the last memory they have is that damn remake. <laughs> if the remake killed the series. Not, not true. There is, one, there is one more memory that came after the remake. And that was in mo- an episode of Modern Family that where was, Robert the, England replies no, no, the no, role. No, 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 no. It's an episode of the Goldbergs. Oh, the Goldbergs. That was modern fit. Whatever. Either way, well, no, Robert England reprised the role as Freddy. It wasn't popular enough to actually do anything, though. Well, that's because it was on the Goldbergs. Well, I mean, Bill Goldberg is a great wrestler. Imagine if it was on Boy Meets World. 
That's true. That would've been nice. Yeah, I'm just saying. I feel like you know, and I was on the um, I've been on the uh, the horror Reddit discussing this sometimes, and it's like you're on Reddit. Yeah, sometimes I get I get my my old man yelling at the clouds thing going where because everybody on there is basically 15, but they've done their research, so they think they know everything. So they're talking. They talk about Michael and Jason, and, and I got I bring up sometimes that hey, the thing is yes, Michael's having his moment now, but in the 80s in their primes. Freddie was by far the most popular. Jason was number two. Michael was number three. And I would say Jason, as soon as they make a new Jason movie, I think he'll be right back up there because even like, say, five years ago when you had the Friday 13th 13th video game, um, Jason's been the pop culture for the new generation. Just they, they need a movie to come out. Well, the thing is, they still have to finish off that damn court case that's been going on. Yeah, the damn writer of the movie we're reviewing today, the first one. And Sean S. Cunningham. But I, I'm pretty sure I read that the writer won. Oh. <laughs> so I don't know what that means in terms of does well, that we, make it easier for us to get a movie or not? But there's some weird thing apparently where he owned, so he has the rights to, I guess, the first movie, but he doesn't have the rights to the Jason character from the sequels. But technically, he still created Jason because Jason's in the first movie. Mm. So it's very confusing. I mean, you could probably use the hockey mask version of Jason, but I don't think you can. They're not allowed to call him Jason now. It's very weird, confusing. There was a Facebook post that went into details about how weird it is that, like, Sean Cunningham, like, still owns sequel Jason, but doesn't own the first movie Jason. But because he's called Jason the first movie, like, the name still belongs to the writer now, too. So it's very weird. So I don't know how they're going to figure that out. Well, it just means they're both going to have to work together in order to get another another script written. Otherwise, Sean S. Cunningham can't use the name Jason, whereas... I'm reading the great book, Crystal Lake Memories, which goes into detail about all the Friday the 13th movies, the behind the scenes, the interview, the creators, producers, writers, directors. And in the book, they actually go into detail about you get Sean Cunningham's perspective in terms of the first movie and Victor Miller, the writer's perspective, and they even say in the book, like, after the first movie, their friendship ended after that first movie because Victor Miller felt like he never got, like, I guess either, like, royalties from it or some kind of money from it. Like, he was basically left out financially, even though he wrote the movie. So they've had, like, an, an estranged relationship since the first movie. But before the first movie, they were really close. But after that, it's so this lawsuit, all surpri- although surprising, is, like, they've been having issues with each other for years. So maybe them coming together to work things out may not be on the cards, but they got to figure something out because there's a built-up demand right now for a new Jason film. As soon as it comes out, it's going to be huge, but someone's got to do it. I mean, hell, there's built-up demand for almost every new old icon getting their own thing, except Chucky because he got his own thing. But yeah, still, and now and now Michael because Michael's came back. So yeah, so everyone still wants to see what they can do with Jason. I mean, granted, a Jason movie would just be one giant gory mess. But who who wants an actual story with Jason? I just want them to go back to grassroots. Give me a cabin, woods, teenagers there for a weekend. Death, death. I mean, give me more like the remake, but. Just not that Jason, not Predator Jason, more Jason Jason. <laughs> oh, what's, not, wrong with, what's wrong with Hunter Jason? Hunter Jason's fine, but I don't want Hunter Jason to be like <clears throat> that level of cunning and that 
monstrous, as big as he is, too. Oh, come on, he he was amazing in that one. If you, because I, I I like Hunter Jason, but for me, my childhood is synonymous with Zombie Jason. Zombie I, Jason was only in four movies. I but I feel like they're the more entertaining movies. So, oh wait, five. Yeah, in in the in the cultural zeitgeist, uh, Zombie Jason is the Jason people know. Not running in the woods, Jason. I feel. I think. Um, Kane Hodder Jason is the more popular Jason. And Kane Hodder only did three Jasons. And we can't really even count. No, no, he did four. He did seven, eight. Jason goes to hell. Oh. And Jason X. I would say Jason goes to hell. He gets like that's like half. Of, that's like half a performance because he's only in the movie for like ten. Like ten right. Minutes, uh, that's why I didn't think of him in Jason Goes to Hell because he's. Jason technically isn't in that. He's in there in that opening scene. He gets blown to bits and then he pops up at the end and beats the shit out of the main guy and doesn't kill him for some reason that will never be explained. Ah, who knows? Whatever. Because he didn't have his full power back. That's later in the series. We'll get in that later on. But today we're going to start with where it all began. We're going back to 1980 where Sean Cunningham had the brilliant idea to rip off Halloween. Literally his pitch to producers and everybody else at Paramount. Hey, let's just make Halloween, but in the woods. Well, Halloween, it came out three years prior. And, well, two years prior, 1978 was Halloween. It made over $40 million on a 300000 budget, which equals dollar signs. Cash, moolah, money in their pockets. And yet, even though this movie didn't need, honestly, this movie, because of where the setting and all that was, you didn't need uh, that much of a bigger budget, but somehow they still got a bigger budget. Slightly though, I think it was like what, like five hundred thousand. I think you said five point five, whereas Halloween was three hundred. But did you really need a full five point five in the woods? Uh, how many cabins did we really, really see throughout this whole movie? Two. Well, this is one of the few movie. This is one of the few movies in the Friday Thirteenth series where they actually used a real campground, and it wasn't like uh, a stage or like that. I guess that's probably why they you they spent so much. I don't know, but I mean, so... Or Betsy Palmer asked for a lot of money. I don't think so either. I mean, she she only came for a couple days of work, so I think she's only there for two or three days. Well, she also needed to pay off her car. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She basically... (laughs) The money she used from her, she paid off a car, so it couldn't been that much. What kind of car did she get that was worth the amount of money they paid for? I I honestly don't think it was that much money. I think it was like $10,000. Really? It was very low. Oh, my God. And she literally was just like, well, this will pay for the car I'm looking at. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't. She didn't get like a hundred thousand. Again, the, the whole budget was five hundred fifty thousand, not five point five million. Just to make clear up the audience. So I mean, they, they like I said they did a good job of copying Halloween. <laughs> I mean, it's weird to think like let's copy Halloween, and then let's just, somehow you get like a movie in the woods with camp counselors. What the hell does that got to do with Halloween, which is in the suburbs with babysitters? But I guess it's the same principal idea. Random man or woman stalking teenagers. Killing them after they have sex. It, it's a very easy formula. You only killed two of them after having sex. The others didn't even have sex. That's true. Even though Brenda really tried with Adrian. That's true. Well, no. Think about the opening couple also. Uh, yeah. Well, they I tried. Mean, they, to, were, they, they tried were about to. Have sex. to. Yeah. yeah. I think this movie. I think the Friday Thirteenth series did sort of pick they, up on they, the formula of. Sex equals death. Yeah, I think Halloween definitely start either Halloween or Black Christmas. I don't think Black, Black Christmas had premarital sex, but the main character was the one that was having it. It's funny when you ask 
when you see interviews with all the filmmakers of all these movies, they all claim that, no, that's an un, unintentional coincidence. We weren't doing any kind of morality play here, but it's like, yeah, but if it's in every horror movie, <laughs> something's going on there. It's consistent where the characters have well, nuts Maybe dots. it started out as a coincidence and then slowly turned into a trope. Yeah, by, by the mid-80s, certainly every horror writer was putting that in the script like, hey, sex. Death. They die the next scene. Yeah, so. <laughs> maybe it didn't start off that way, but definitely it became a big-time horror trope or cliche. Let's, let's backtrack a little bit. We might as well give the timeline. I mean, outside of the Halloween timeline... The Friday Thirteen timeline is almost just as messed up. Nothing can be as messed. Nothing can be as, as messed up as the Halloween timeline. But well, yeah, because after Part Four, then we jump to 2010, then 2015, 2020, yeah, 2050, and then what? What was Jason X like? 2097. Yeah, I mean it was in, <laughs> it was in a, a futuristic space movie. So yeah, so um, so anyways, the first one though, let's try backtrack a little bit. The movie starts off what in like 19 1980. It was still 1980. Either 1980 or 1981. Whatever one of those days where June 13th fell on a Friday. For these original two people that die. Oh, for the original two that die. I'm I'm saying let's go back to the very... Because the opening scene are these two teenagers. I don't think they give a date exactly. Because they don't give a date. They don't really give a timeline. We don't even know about Jason drowning or any of that. Because no one's ever talked... No one even talks about that until at the end of the movie. Much later on, yeah. Yeah, and she doesn't even say that those two, or, yeah, the trucker was the one who mentioned it, but he didn't give us a timeline between them them and the two kids either. Well, somewhere in between Steve Christie opening up the camp and uh, that being the, the, well, somewhere between Jason drowning, the fires, and then... Those two um, deaths. Yeah. Wait, let me go back. This is all too confusing. Orderly. Let me cut all this out the last two minutes. Okay. Timeline-wise... We know that at some point back in the 50s, Jason drowned. Yes. And upon drowning, the camp was closed. And then every once in a while, someone tries to open the camp back up. And something very mysterious happens, whether it be fires. Or two deaths. And this opening scene we get is the two deaths. Where one kid gets shanked. Yep. And Prison style. And the, the problem is, I'm just wondering... You hear that loud pitch scream. Uh, kumbaya. I, I wonder who did. The kumbaya was blocking out the sound so nobody could hear it. You're going to say, like, why didn't the other counselors hear about it? Well, there's that. But there's also, uh, who did the screaming? Ah! I know it was a high-pitched female scream, but if I remember correctly, I think the camera was folk actually showed her as the scream happened, and she didn't even open her mouth. Hmm. So could it have been the guy who screamed? Did you notice our first clue is that they seem to both recognize? I took it as they recognize who well, had yeah, stumbled they upon weren't, them. They weren't intimidated. They, they were more, uh, oh, shit, we just got caught. The guy reacted where I, it seems like he reacted the way that a woman had caught them. It was weird because <laughs> he was kind of like, he reacted in a way of being like very shy. Whereas I feel like if a guy came up, he went to react, he reacted like very like shy in a way that you would like if an old woman walked up like mm-hmm. came upon you. It's very interesting like to watch that. If a dude stumbled up, he just like, hey dude, like how get out of here, man. Yeah. <laughs> but he reacted like like as if his teacher walked in on something. So there's a little hint there that this is gonna be kind of like an old lady. We'll later find out that is it's the cook at the camp, the chef. Yes. 
So when, when murders start happening, always suspect the cook first. Pamela Voorhees. Unless the cook is really good, then let them kill people because they're still making good food for you. Yeah, but who knows? That that meat, she could be like uh, in Sweeney Todd, the meat pie maker. Cannibalism. Yep. Damn it, man. Next time I eat meatloaf, next time I eat meatloaf, I'm thinking about cannibalism now because of you. Well, don't eat meatloaf. True. Eat okay. chicken. At least you know for a fact chicken Ooh. is chicken. Chicken nuggets. Exactly. Then again, I don't know. I don't know if people are considered right meat or red meat. Wrong meat. I, I think that, we, that that means no bob. Wrong meat always. I think we just need to ask a cannibal that question. Yeah. Where's Hannibal? I don't know. Mm. I let me just say this opening scene where they die. It's pretty creepy. It establishes a mystery. There's an unknown, unknown killer. The score of this movie, I think I've heard it so much that it, I can't consider it scary because I've heard it so much. But if I was watching it for the first time, I can see where it's a creepy score. It's well done. Harry Manafredi? I think that's his last name. He does a score for almost all of the Friday the movies, the Paramount ones, the first mm. eight, eight. He's like the OG composer. So I think it's a pretty good score. And, um, well... Be honest, this is probably the only movie I don't have a any kind of comment about the score because the score's pretty forgettable. You think so? Yeah. It could it's be that, because of that, how many times I've watched yeah, the movie. Yeah, but it's only forgettable because it's that classic Friday thirteenth music though. It just <laughs> you're used to being over every opening credits for all of the first couple of some couple of them, so it's like it's almost like just Meh. It doesn't creep you out because you've heard it so much. Right. Um but, but if we, you if you transport yourself to 1980 and you're in the movie theater, you're like, hey, that's pretty creepy. Well, how about we skip the opening credits and meet Annie? Our main character, because yes. we know the first character we meet, I gotta be honest, for me, I mean, okay, scream aside, subconsciously, when you introduce, introduce us to a main character, or the first person you introduce us to typically is the point of view character, and you immediately get attached because she's the first person we see. And she most likely met Ruger Hauer because she is hitchhiking. Yeah, so the prequel of this basically is that she had this whole battle with Ruger Hauer. She overcame that to get to Crystal Lake, and now she's going to deal with this. But her first initial battle, Ruger Hauer, prequel to both this movie and The Hitcher, was the first battle that he had. So. Yes. So she gets inside. She goes inside the diner and asks for a ride to Crystal Lake. And all the town people look at her like she's fucking crazy. Camp Blood, are you serious? It's the first time we heard the name Camp Blood. Now, and, uh, this town, when she's walking the town, doesn't it feel like the town's abandoned almost? Until she gets in a diner, yes. There's a dog, though. You remember oh, the dog? She's, doggo. She's a dog, but the dog seems to be abandoned. <laughs> Weird. Poor doggo. But, but yeah, the town, it looks like one of those old, like, colonial towns, like, abandoned. Never go wrong with a good small town. But we know that this is New Jersey, apparently. Yes. So. Still can never go wrong with a good small town, because then people... You, they know everybody, and they also leave everyone the fuck alone. Well, thankfully, one very nice oil rigger offers to give her a ride to Crystal Lake. Named Enos. Is that his name? Yes. I just call him Oil Guy. I mean, I called him Trucker until I found out. Somewhere, somewhere in 1980, he was cleaning up an oil spill and doing a good job. No, he was uh, delivering the oil. Oh, well, he was doing a good job. I hope he got a good tip. Well... Now we get to meet Ralph, the owner of Doom Donuts. I was going to say, guess who's lurking outside with nothing to do except to warn incoming camp counselors to go back home because they're doomed. You're doomed. 
And make sure you go to Dune Donuts so I can make some money. And your old guy's just like, shut up, Ralph. Yeah. Go do something with your life. <laughs> well, how about we go ahead and meet the rest of our cast that's going to be cannon fodder. Oh, or man. arrow fodder. Well. Knife fodder. Uh, barbed wire fodder. Off-screen fodder. Off-screen fodder. Off-screen fodder. Rain Possibly fodder. suicide fodder. Yeah, nailed against a... With an arrow yeah. against the wall. Uh, so we're meeting the rest of our cast of Jack, played by Kevin Bacon. Oh my God, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Here he is in his first movie. So I got a question. Uh, do you think after Kevin Bacon's death, they cut off his stomach and then fried it, and then first smoked it, and then fried it into bacon? Yep. Okay. That's probably why he's so skinny. Um, uh, his girlfriend, Marcy. Then we also meet Steve... Alice, our main act, our main character, Ned, Bill, and Brenda. Now, Steve, I want to say, is an he's, asshole. Not only is he an asshole, but he's very creepy, and he's perving on Alice. Very creepy. There is no way he is the same age as Alice. I'm pretty sure he is at least 10 years old. He looks like he's 50. Yeah. The thing is, though, he's actually very ambitious because he's the one responsible for opening up the camp. So let me tell you, Steve Christie, if you, if you haven't already been told... You're, you're an asshole. I guess you're dead, so it wouldn't, make, wouldn't matter now, but... All this is on your head, Steve Christie. I blame you for what's about to happen, Steve Christie. But also, in the way they talk makes it sound like they have some kind of history together. I thought either they says, were... give me another chance. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because she came here maybe for the job and maybe to help him out. But this is one of those things that's going to go unexplored. So it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, because also... If you, they, they open the thread, but they never close it. Yeah. If it's possible that they knew each other before opening, and from the sounds of Steve, he's pretty much a re- he's a resident of this town, does that mean Alice is also a resident of this town? Well, if we... So, unfortunately not, but the only reason I say no is because we know in the sequel that she comes back to town mm. to confront her demons. But in this movie canon without including part two i don't know maybe i mean possibly well which at that point you'd also think she'd probably back the fuck out knowing the history behind it and then again or she could if she was a townie she'd be like oh it's just a story yeah but i'm and thinking about it, it's kind of interesting yeah it's like okay uh a camp counselor job would that really attract people from other towns i feel like that would be like something where or was it just the fact that hey this camp has such a history that we have to advertise to, because Annie's coming from some random other place. Mm-hmm. So is the others. So it's a way to get by the history of like, okay, well, these outsiders from different towns, they've never heard of Camp Blood, so they'll just accept the job and come. But if you're a local, maybe you'll be like, no, oh, fuck that. Camp it Blood, also makes me wonder, how much are they being paid? Because they got to travel. They have to be able to get their own damn food. They have to be able to take care of themselves. Well, and he's traveling for free, so she's hitchhiking. So. That's besides the point. I'm she hasn't put in $1 for gas money, from what I can tell, all right? She, he gave her an honest warning. I like that scene with them in the truck. I like it because the guy was acting like Ralph was crazy, but as soon as he gets her alone in the car, he's saying the same shit. He's like, quit. Go home. The town's got a death curse and a curse. Of course, we learned that Steve Christie has not told anybody about the history, of course. Why Which, would you? I do got a question. Would it really be classified as a death curse if only two, with only three deaths and a few fires? If if you're a local town person and nothing happens in that town, but let's say two or three weird things happen at the lake, 
I could see that getting a local town legend of being like a haunted local thing. It's like, imagine like, okay, imagine our town, like two or three incidents happening at one place. It probably would be like, hey, there's something off about that place. At that point, I'll just grab, grab my spear, grab my sword, grab some cameras, some salt, some iron, go down there and figure out what the fuck's going on. And I would, I would bid you well and look for a new, new co-host. You wouldn't join me? No. It would be a great vlog. We need the podcast to carry on after you've been decapitated. It so. would be a great vlog, my guy. You'd be able to film everything. The, 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 the filming of you with the, the, the arrow through your head through the door. <laughs> I don't need that in my camera, right? I'm good. Uh, there wouldn't be no oh, arrow. It would be a actually, sword fight. That would go viral, though. So actually, <laughs> at least you can in death, you can help the podcast go to that next level. <laughs> Once they find out you've been nailed to the damn door. Nah, I, I would survive. Remember, I'm taking a sword and a spear with salt, iron, holy water. Uh, the real question is... Fire? No. The real question is, if it's 1980 and me or you have been offered this job and we find out the history, okay, these incidents have happened here, do you, Nick Arcana, 1980, do you still accept the job or do you say no? See, that's, the, that, that's actually a hard question because around 1980... Slasher movies, especially in the woods, weren't really that popular, so not many people would have watched them or got the hint right. of something happening. This is the thing. This is not current Nick Arcana. This is Nick Arcana in 1980 would have no horror movie knowledge of the woods being a scary place. Exactly. It would just seem like, hey, we're going to roast marshmallows and tell fun stories around the campfire. Yeah, like nowadays, no, I ain't going there. But even then, though, what I'm saying is, though, still, someone tells you, hey, the couple times they've tried to open the place, some weird shit happens. Like, okay, now we know about the fires and the two kids being killed. So that's two separate incidents. So, okay, so two things have happened where someone tried to open the camp and some weird, unsolved, mysterious shit happens. That at least has to give you pause. I would be like, well, I'm going to negotiate for a higher pay at least. <laughs> give me some more money. Give me some more money. If I might die, I might as well get some more money out of it. Oh, yeah, hazard pay, definitely. Yeah, because the hazard is I'm going to be dead with an arrow through my head. So. Well, even the... Even a lot of the jobs I'm, I've been applying for, hazard pay, because if something happens, I'm dead. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, maybe you accept the job. But first of all, it's a camp counselor job, right? To my, to my knowledge, aren't those jobs usually, like, volunteer anyways? Like, Some. Is there actual... If there's money, it's not a lot of money. I mean, if you're being forced to travel, it's a decent amount of money. So in the case of Annie, she's the cook. Yeah. So she should be getting, She's getting a paid. decent amount of money. And I can see where she is probably trying to break into cooking. So this is a good experience to have on her resume. I and that, that's another problem. We hear she's a cook, but we never get to see her food. I wanted to see how she does as a chef. Well, not only that, but let's say there was, let's say forget everything else. Like for the rest of the movie, like how are they, how are they eating? Seriously. Who's making the food? The snake that gets beheaded. Oh, man. Well, damn. Some motherfucking snakes at the motherfucking cab. Where's Samuel Jackson when you need him? Which, by the way, I feel bad for the owner of that snake. That's pretty raw. That was a real snake they killed. Yeah, that is was, crazy. It was what Tom Savini's friend. He goes up to him and says, "Hey, can I borrow your snake for a scene?" He says, "Sure." Snake was people friendly, but they didn't tell the actors. So of course, the actors think it's a real snake trying to hurt them, and they kill it. Wow. That's a horrible... And I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't like snakes, but that's horrible. I'm wondering why Tom Savini didn't stop him. He's like, whoa, don't kill him. 
your reaction is fine enough. Well, <laughs> I like Tom Savani, Savani, but he strikes me as somebody who might be a little bit off kilter and a little bit creepy. So maybe he was like, you killed that snake. He, yeah, cool. and ended his friendship with that guy. You, I understand that. <laughs> Magic going to send that happening. I can understand that. Um, all right, so yeah, I'm getting higher pay. It sounds like you would still accept the job because basically you're like, hey, it's 1980, you know, kumbaya, there's no killer in the woods. Yeah, again, but because we don't, you wouldn't have the horror movie knowledge we everyone has today. It's the same idea with her hitchhiking so freely. Us on a random country road, we're not going to be hitchhiking like that. Exactly. Um, and cars were really hard to come by for everybody. Still hard to come by, but now there's credit. But look, let me say this. I got to say this for this movie. I immediately like Annie. Just with two scenes, she's so likable. She's so cheery and happy. And Let's watch her throat get slashed. I really, I really feel like, can we just follow her and no. make her the main character? No. Why does she got to get in this Jeep, man? Because she decided to get in the Jeep because a frail old woman was driving it. Who, who gets in the Jeep when the driver has not said a word, has not communicated, has not said, hello, where are you traveling to? I'm not jumping in no car with somebody who's not communicating. I'm not getting no feedback. Because, because of Halloween, uh, killers now speak an orchestral score. That's fine, but this isn't... And if that killer spoke before she jumped in, she would have jumped right the fuck back out. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I like Beethoven too, but I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> too bad. <laughs> so she, Annie does try to get away when she jumps out the Jeep. That, that's a bold move. You don't see that often in horror movies. Usually she would just sit in the car and keep complaining. But once she senses trouble, credit to her, she jumps out of a fast moving Jeep. Yeah, because. Uh, breaks her shit. Yeah, because Pam decides to rev up the. Now I'm just wondering. Uh, where the hell was she taking her? <laughs> what was yeah. the plan? Where, would, where was Mrs. Voorhees taking her? Because was it possible Mrs. Voorhees was just going to drop her off in the middle of nowhere and then drive away? It's like, okay, she's away from the camp. I don't need to kill her. Well, I'm just thinking about the logistics. Like, okay, if, more, Mrs., if Mrs. Voorhees is driving and you're in the passenger seat, if you think about it, you have the advantage because she's driving. She can only do so much while she's driving and she sped up the car. You attack her. You're like, hey, oh, we're going to die? This fucking car is flipping over five times and we're both dying. Think about it. As long as she was driving, Annie's kind of safe. She can't really kill you and drive at the same time. She has to stop and park the car. So while she's speeding, that's when you attack her. Well, here's a question. If Mrs. Voorhees didn't give a shit if she died, oh, she would does, you though. really would have won? This is the star of her plan. She cares. She's planned the shit out of this. Um, so jumping out the car, I don't know. I mean, you broke your shit and then... The car immediately stopped and reversed and hunted you down. And apparently it was Mrs. Voorhees, even though that was definitely a man's body, slits her throat. And I just, I, I feel so bad watching that happen, Andy. So I should, I'm only going to mention what the killer is wearing just because even though my theory is it's still Jason behind a lot of this, uh, to be fair, we have to go with what the killer's wearing. It's the only clue we get, and the killer is wearing black pants and a plaid shirt. I think that's Betsy Palmer. <laughs> that sounds like uh, the Brady, the mom of Brady Bunch. Um, oh, I was wondering where I recognized her from. No, it's not actually her. I but she, where I but her she from. is from some 
famous thing from back in the day. Some famous thing I, I mean, cannot answer. <laughs> I don't know. It was before my time, but I know Betsy Palmer was apparently a famous name when she came into this movie, so in need of a nice car. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that kill and a lot of these kills is Jason, not even Mrs. Voorhees. But the problem is, so I almost feel like let's talk about that more in the, in the part two podcast. <laughs> well, we can we can do it here because it's like to think that way, we ha- you have to have seen part two. Within just the part one context, this is still a whodunit. We don't know anything about Jason or anything at this yeah, point. Yeah, but again, no one's going to think a woman after they see that body. Everyone's going to assume, okay, this is a dude. You can even tell the hands are a lot more muscular than a damn woman's hands. Expect, and the body's taller than Betsy Palmer. Like, if you didn't have a problem with fucking Amber from Scream 5 <laughs> do all the shit she did, I don't want to hear you complaining about, at least Mrs. Voorhees has old woman strength. <laughs> and also, I want to bring up when, damn, right before Annie dies, she's looking up at the killer. It, when she's standing up, she's looking up. Do you think Miss Voorhees, when she does her killing, okay, theoretically, let's say she's a killer. When she's do- doing her killings, do you think she was wearing a mask or she's just like revealing herself to be like an old woman? She's most likely just revealing herself. I think, a lot it, of people I, I had, think if she's just that old man, I feel like... A lot of people were just nonchalant with her every time they saw her, if they saw her. I feel like, Annie, if you're standing there, it's a woman coming at you. Just survival instinct. You wouldn't just sit against a tree with it, not even put your hand up to block it or anything. No, I mean, if, She really just very happily takes that throat slit i mean if you're a cook there's a good chance she's probably a pacifist and i don't mean a pacifist through somebody's face but think about this though i'm just thinking about this anybody if someone has a knife right they go for your throat right any defense mechanism is at least at some point going to put the hand up to the throat to try to block it even while she's in her throat slit, her arms stay by her side. Well, it just she, makes no sense. Well, to be fair, if she defended herself, she would have won. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's why I feel like maybe she was wearing a mask because if you see your attackers like someone like, oh, I can I can take her maybe. Well, remember <laughs> you would she, like just tackle her or something. So you're telling me Annie jumped in a jeep with this woman wearing a mask? No. Exactly. So she knew who was coming after her. So uh, yeah, but. She reacted like she was very scared. I mean, she... I know she has a knife in her hand, probably, <laughs> but man, I, there's no way Betsy Palmer walking at you is like an intimidating, scary thing. I'm sorry. Even me, I'm like... Well, that's... We go, I'm like, you, you go, you're going to slit my throat after we like struggle on the ground, <laughs> but I'm not happily like laying against this tree waiting for you to slit my throat. Well, to be fair, I guess the only other clue we get that this is a woman is against the guys... She does not reveal herself to the guys. Yeah. Think about it, with Kevin Bacon's kill, with Bill's kill. The only kill she really got was Steve, and that was because he recognized or went up to into the knife. You'd think you'd see the knife. Well, um, it's a strategy thing where it's almost like it's almost like she has to. To be fair, she has to like low key go behind their backs to kill them. She can't like. It's not like like later movies where Jason can just walk up on a dude and just overpower him. Right. So. That's kind of clever that most, a lot of the, some of the kills, you can say, okay, but wait a minute. How did she get under that, underneath that bed, though? Uh, she probably was already under there because that's where she killed Ned. Ah, that's right. She was on there for a long time, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, well, she only had an arrow. I don't think that arrow was long enough to pierce both Kevin Bacon and Marcy. What was up with Marcy, like, having this dream, all these dreams about raining blood? And then she actually dies. 
I thought in the shower. I thought that was a good character moment, but then in hindsight, I'm just like, that's so random. Like she had these dreams that she died. It seems like there was more to that. And then well, there was she. She died in a shower. Shower wasn't on. No, it was an axe in her face though. Yeah, but still blood shower, bloody shower. I don't think it really tied together. They should have had the dream more specifically tied into what happens to her. Yeah, she could have been. Then we could have been like, hey, well, she had that same fucking power as um, the dude from Final Destination. So she, she saw her death coming. To be fair, um, a lot of this movie is padding. Yes. A lot of the them getting the camp ready, them killing the snake, the cop, a fucking Ralph. Steve at the bar. Steve at the diner. Steve at the diner. Every part of this movie up until the kills actually start is one giant padding. I know it's supposed to give us some form of characterization, but the only character we get enough character for is Alice. And to be fair, I didn't care for Alice. I I like Alice. She's likable enough, but yeah, after after Annie dies, I don't feel a connection to any character. Nobody's really that likable. Again, Steve's an asshole. So there is a lot of filler here. I do like... Um, I do like some of the filming though. Sean Cunningham, who directed, did a good job with those things. Like when when the rain starts and the storm starts, you get some beautiful shots of the lake and the town. Um, there's some good cinematography, and when the kills do start, you're, you're right though. That's like where we finally get the good stuff. Yeah, like uh, with oh, I just want to mention uh, in order to save Ned the Joker in this movie, Kevin Bacon does a belly flop. He doesn't even dive correctly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's... First, he can't hammer correctly. Now he can't dive correctly. He belly flops. That had to have stung. Look, he gets a pass. He's Kevin Bacon. He would go on to entertain us for years. <laughs> movie after movie after movie. He gets a pass in this, what is his first role? Um, yeah, I mean, the movie does have a lot of filler. And the characterization, these are not... This is not great character depth. These are not memorable characters. Hell, that's the only other character I can think of that got any real characterization is Ned. But, I mean, <laughs> I would say for the first part of the movie, the first 45 minutes to an hour, what does work for me is actually the whodunit aspect. There is a mystery going on in the first half of the movie that's pretty interesting because I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking who's the killer, the two main suspects I'm thinking are Crazy Ralph and Steve Christie. Because Crazy, Crazy Ralph obviously is a red herring, but... Hey. Well, so is Christy, to be honest with you. Yeah, but Christy being the killer would be like a fun twist. Yeah. If the movie... If the movie sticks the landing on the whodunit aspect, I'm going to rate it very highly, but as we know, this fucking shit's going to come out of nowhere for this ending. But Yeah, but to be honest with you, I don't think Jason nor Mrs. Voorhees killed Ned because he when we last see him, he's saddened. He's mad. He's sad because he isn't getting getting a woman to give him any the attention he wants. And that's why he came there. But so, to be honest, I don't think he saw anyone in that cabin. He just went into that cabin, slit his own throat. Rest in peace, Ned. Sorry, Ned. No one gave a shit about you. Ned, if you were looking for a woman, I wouldn't come to a camp. No, because, you know, there's too much work to be done yeah. at a camp, at a broken down camp. To look for a woman. But, so... It wasn't the way to go. No. Um, so, now it rains, and it just so happens, Jack and Marcy go into the same cabin where Ned just got lured into and got killed. Yep. They have sex. 
We got strip monopoly, more padding. But, strip... but this Kevin Bacon death is pretty good though. Oh yeah, so we you gotta be... you gotta give props again to the master Tom Savani. Yeah, Tom, uh, granted, I wish I would have seen this in the low quality theaters back then because yeah. now you can clearly see the you know Kevin Bacon's real head on over top of that dummy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I I feel like it's very well done for 1980. Yeah, I mean, obviously done today, they could probably hide it a little bit better. But. I mean, it's still very memorable scene because yeah. just think about having an arrow very slowly going into you. It's not causing that big of a hole, so not a lot of blood comes out until they actually gets pulled back out. Yeah, and there is also there's a nice sort of suspenseful buildup to Marcy's death. Mm. It, it wasn't like cheaply done um the only thing with the axe thing is that you get that sort of cutaway in the middle well yeah they needed to put the, the effects <laughs> on yeah but man these days you could actually get like the straight axe of the face oh yeah so we get get the cutaway she gets it has an accident phase, which still looks like a it pretty looks, nice effect it looks good <laughs> yeah savannah does a great job of the after effects of the deaths look amazing Oh yeah, and now and then we get probably the most egregious death in my opinion. And that's Brenda's because we still have no fucking clue what happened to her. Yep, she literally hears a little kid. How is a grown ass woman able to copy a little kid's voice? I don't know. I don't know either. A lot of practice, but that's what happened. I guess she's a ventriloquist because then Brenda goes out there. In the rain, in her nighty, and I just want to mention, I said this a lot during our watch-alongs, but since those are off, I have to rant about this now. Who in the fuck is going out in the rain in your underwear with no jacket, no way to protect yourself from the elements, barefoot in the woods? Come on, people. You're not me. You don't have tough feet because you've been walking barefoot all your life. Look. She's trying to catch ammonia. She's about to get killed anyways. It doesn't matter if she gets pneumonia. She's dead man walking anyways. Dead woman I walking. Still, they don't know that. They should still be... I don't give. I don't care if it's to, to add sex to the movie. You already had sex between Marcy and Jack. You don't need to show us a girl walking around in her underwear. I think personally, she knew she was going to die. So she said, forget it. I'm going to die comfortably in my underwear. <laughs> if I was going to die comfortably, I'm going to be butt-ass naked. In the rain? Yes. What what is freezing rain? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, judging by their reactions, it is freezing rain. Actually, that's not comfortable, right? And also in New Jersey, New Jersey doesn't get all that hot (laughs) because it is more north than we are. Uh, Can we talk about Bill's death? Oh, yeah, Bill's death. So after (laughs) Bill leaves, by the way, this editing is also a little weird. When Bill leaves, he tells Alice, hey, I'm going to go check the generator alice says you need me to come with you and then right immediately after that cuts to her sleeping yeah and then they intertwine what he's doing with her waking up from the dream right so so she has no idea where he's at so we get another padding scene of her making coffee in a tea kettle i guess if you need to heat up some water you have no other way to tell if it's boiling true even though you could just watch the water boil, but that takes forever. Right. And this movie's already taken forever, to be honest with you. <laughs> Very much so. So then she decides to go outside, and oh, look, Bill's body. This is a cool-ass visual. Again, 
man, you gotta give four stars to the makeup because Bill's freaking face, man, he looks like sad as he's posted up on that wall like that, on that door, with the damn arrow. And just the blood looks just perfect for what happened to him. <laughs> man, I like that. I like that visual. So now we get our pretty much our I'm gonna say dead body relay, because this is around the scene where Alice starts starts finding, you know, Bill's dead. I'm pretty sure she finds the other two dead. And then all of a sudden, Brenda gets thrown through the damn window. Which, obviously, I mean, Betsy Palmer is more than capable of throwing her through the window like that. Don't you think? No. We're talking about, what, a five-foot-five woman in her 60s? Old woman strength. I've enjoyed the movie so far. The problem is when Betsy Palmer shows up, the movie goes into big what the hell now. Yeah, because obviously she's the last character introduced, so, oh, she must be the killer. And unfortunately, the, movie set, the, movie, the way the movie's set up, even before we get into the chasing, the fight scene, we have to get this long, big-ass explanation of what's going on from Betsy Palmer. Which, what prompted her to even do that? She sees Brenda's body and then goes into a, Oh, poor dear. Oh, did you know my son died here? It's weird because <laughs> my thing is, what's special about Alice that Mrs. Voorhees actually sees her as like the final girl <laughs> that she has to give this lecture to and everybody else she's killed without the lecture? Why does Alice get the lecture? And my mouse was like, hey, just kill me. Why you got to lecture me first? So here's the hard part of act, so of coming up with Jason and Mrs. Voorhees working together in this movie. And that is because if you, yeah, Mrs. Voorhees is wearing a sweater, but if you see under the sweater, if you're paying close attention, you'll see that same red and white plaid shirt. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing dark jeans. Ah. And she pulls out the same knife used to kill Annie. And to be fair, she's so mad from her perspective... She's probably a man. She's got too much testosterone. No. From her perspective, she clearly thinks her son is dead and that these camp counselors, in some way, even though it has nothing to do with them specifically, their ancestor camp counselors were responsible <clears throat> for her son's drowning. If Jason is alive and she knows it, it kind of cheapens her whole motivation because why is she so angry then? Why is she killing everybody if her son actually is alive, chilling somewhere, eating rat meat or whatever Jason does? No idea, but now we get our final girl circuit, which is probably the most boring final girl circuit I've seen in a movie. That's because they, they, hadn't, they didn't have other ones to build upon. <laughs> it's the first one. Even the sequels have better chasings at the end. Because well, that's because they're they a little bit do. shorter. There's a little bit more to do in this. All this one is is cabin, hide. One whack to Mrs. Voorhees. Cabin, hi. One whack to Mrs. Voorhees. Like, bitch, just kill, the, just kill her. <laughs> yeah. And then finally we get this fight scene, which from what I understand, these two were beating the hell out of each other. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I don't know if they actually had a grudge against each other or if they were literally just doing this for the movie. No, I was watching <laughs> that fight scene. It looks like they're really angry at each other. <laughs> right. Because even, even Pam just, Betsy Palmer just grabs Adrian King's head, slams it in, and you hear it. I'm like, 
Oh, that's hard sand. That yeah. probably hurt. I mean, I from what I understand, they were going, they were hurting each other. I can believe it. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to believe because Betsy Palmer. I mean, she's just there to get the money for a car. So for maybe her, someone her told so into it. I mean, maybe someone told her if you don't make this look believable, we're not paying you. <laughs> yeah, and 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 uh, Adrian King was like, okay, so here's how we make it believable. I'm going to actually chop off her head. <laughs> so I'm planning to actually take her head off. So. Yep. So, yep. Final fight, decapitation, which to be honest, I was actually surprised there was any kind of physical conflict in this. I was just expecting run, run, run. And then finally Adrian King just cuts off her head when I first watched this movie. Off with her head. I would, I, when I first watched this movie, I've I actually already seen the sequels before I saw this movie. So I was not expecting a legitimate fight. Yeah, I mean, props to that. Just for me, though, once Miss Voorhees is revealed, I just don't buy any of it. I'm just, <laughs> I just wish she, she would have been somewhere earlier in the movie to make the whodunit make sense. Because when you introduce a character who's never been seen before in the film, it's just, it's just bad writing. It's like you have to have them somewhere in the background so when you go back and watch it, you can be like, oh, well, there was a way to add this up. Like, she could have been a suspect. She's not a suspect. You can't introduce somebody who's not been in the entire movie, and then she just shows up. Even Betsy Palmer said, hey, can I be somewhere in the beginning of the movie so that the audience can, can see that? It's just, it's just stupid. Oh, even Betsy Palmer, who did not even want to be in this movie, said that? Yes. Well, at least she's dedicated to her craft. I'm, I'll, I'll screenshot the part in the book and send it to you, but she had some comments there for it. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> apparently old Jason was right there in the woods watching the decapitation. I know, right? Oh, my gosh. So, Adrian, for some reason, after killing the killer, the only killer she knows of, gets in the boat and drifts into the lake. I thought this was particularly stupid, yes. Also, that is one magic boat to just not drift away from the cabin. Yep. From the beach. She, she was literally, I don't know if maybe only 30 minutes passed and the sun was already up. I mean, it was pretty late. Yep. It could have been sun was actually just peering out. The only reason it still looked dark was because woods masked the sun. Uh-huh. But damn. If bad. not, that is one magic boat. That's pretty bad. Um, magic school boat. Magic school boat. Um, when Jason comes out of the water, Whee! I got to say, it's a really good jump scare. That is a face not even a mother could love. But the sound effect when he comes out, how, how surprising it is. Right. If someone, hasn't, so if someone hasn't seen them first, the movie before and you have the surround sound turned up, that will scare the shit out of somebody. Yeah, it was definitely disorienting. Yeah. Uh, that was probably... It's, it's not a jump scare. It's not scary because it's a jump scare, but it's probably the best jump scare in the movie by far. I think it's the only... No. I guess technically uh, Crazy Ralph coming through the... And the pantry was also classified as a jump scare. But that was a fake scare, okay? Categories. Categories. Best performance. Betsy Palmer. Agreed. I mean, yeah, she's only in like 10 minutes of the movie. Her character makes no sense for the movie to be given. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, she killed that role. I believed her as a crazy mom that would murder people. I... I don't like I don't like her character 
because of the writing of it in a way, but her performance was she sold it well. Yeah. She she might have been only there for a couple of days, but <laughs> she brought her acting shops those couple of days. Oh she, yeah. She definitely showed why she should have gotten paid the big bucks. And they should have got her back with Freddie Burge Jason. Yeah. Yep. She's still alive? Yeah. Damn. She knows how to live. She just wanted a little bit more money than they offered for Freddie Burge Jason. Otherwise she should she would have Even though she was only in two minutes? Yeah, but she thought she deserved a little bit of money, so. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, so, worst performance. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> it's, and I'll say worst performance because we know what he's capable of. Well, so this was his we've first seen, role. I know, but that's fine. But that doesn't mean that he gets a pass. That, that means um, the, the bar is higher because it's Kevin Bacon. You expect him to steal the movie at least. He doesn't st- he's- not in 1980 whenever no one knew his damn name. Yeah, but he's so not memorable that I'm just like, man, come on. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't believe that's the guy from Tremors. You're comparing him from his first movie to now when he has experience. Damn right. You lazy bastard. I was going to get... I'm giving it to Adrian King. Oh, my God. How dare, how dare you? She was a boring character to me. Uh, she felt like she didn't even want to be there half the damn time. The only part that was memorable was the damn fight with Betsy Palmer. That was probably because she thought she was going to die. Look, by 1980, at this time, they haven't evolved yet to give our heroes like depth and a lot of development. Just Halloween. The, outside of Halloween. They, Black Christmas. Outside of the two best. <laughs> you, you named the two like best slasher movies like of the time. Yes. Those are like the only two of the time. And the best. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I mean, all the copycats never took the time to actually give the hero, and there's more worried about the kills and the gore, but they didn't realize that, hey, you have to have a likable main character to, to, gra- to grab onto. Yeah, and we didn't get that. <laughs> I thought she's okay. She's kind of a little bit generic, but uh, compared to the other Friday 30th heroes, she was a little bit off. To be so. honest with you, I would have rather watched Brenda... She looked like she had more character, more fun with the movie. Yeah. Oh, and for me, Marcy. Yeah. Eh. Especially after her having dreams about that kind of stuff. She had these dreams about blood showers and stuff. That would have been nice to pay that off a little bit more. Yeah. Or at the very or as you brought I, up Annie. Oh, spe- oh yeah. Well that's that's really the main thing. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. No, screw that. Best performance is Annie because she got killed so early. I feel like she needs some some props for something because this movie didn't give anything to her. So. Has she done anything after this movie? I don't think so. But even if she didn't, if you can be like, "Hey, I'm like the the first major kill in Friday Thirteenth," that's still pretty significant. Maybe you should try and get her on an interview. I don't know if she's alive. Then I assume she is. I hope so. She ain't that damn old. Yeah, she looks pretty young here. So. If Betsy Palmer's still alive. I think Betsy Palmer's still alive. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, it, well, I know we know Adrian King is. Yeah. Well, yeah, the difference is Betsy Palmer, I assume, was already 50 in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the cast is probably like 21. So. Yeah. So, either way, uh, best scene. Honestly, for me, this is a hard one. I'm going to have to give it to the opening scene. Because even though it, it doesn't really pay off, the whole opening is actually, it's dark, it's mysterious. It opens up the mystery of who this kid is even talking to. Yeah. And then just to all of a sudden kill them, has that, that score just booms open the very first time you hear it as you brought up. It's creepy. 
it only loses its effect after the amount of times we, me and you have watched it. Yeah, for for sheer memorableness, I'm going to go with Kevin Bacon's death scene. <laughs> I feel like that... Oh, that would be too easy. It, that scene feels like the one that always stands out when you think about the movie, though. Yeah, but that's why, that's why I didn't choose it. It's too easy. Well, it's because of the best scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Worst scene. Oh, God. Uh, uh, Steve Christie in the diner. Just a random nothing scene. So I can't really go with that just because of how boring the damn final girl circuit was. Oh, my gosh. From the point of Betsy Palmer revealing who she was to the legitimate to the actual fight they had, it was boring. I probably would have fallen asleep if it wasn't for me writing notes. Uh I literally wrote in my notes, what the hell? Get the show going. Damn. Yeah, true. Fair. Um, I mean, we both have probably already talked about exactly what we'd want to change. The main character and also the whodunit aspect. Yep. At Either add Betsy Palmer to more scenes to show her character or to damn take her out and just have Jason do all the killing. Yeah, I mean... Pretty much, yeah. Those are the two things. Uh, and then there's the change in the main actress from... King to either Annie or Brenda. Marcy. <laughs> I don't care about Marcy. Just give her, a, uh, just pay off her death a little bit better. Maybe have the showers turn on when she dies. Yeah, something. So that way when she falls down dead, the shower hits her face and the blood just goes down her body. Hell, just make Ned the main character. <laughs> Why? He committed suicide. <laughs> yeah, maybe he doesn't if they give him something to do, all right? This character nothing to do. He said there's no, and also, he he has- there's no purpose in me being alive, so... <laughs> Well, no, it's not, not the fact he didn't have anything to do with scripts. It's the fact that he wasn't getting any women. Yeah, give him... And there was two single women. Yeah, let him do something so that he can have some hope to live. So. Also, I just want to mention, did you think there was a, any kind of connection between Alice and Bill? I thought the movie was trying to force it on us, and I thought maybe there could be. I did think that they were becoming friends at least, but poor Bill never got a chance to... Yeah, he got too busy getting shot. In the head. In the chest. In the chest and the head. Yeah. And the eye. Yeah. Um, Final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, Well, Friday the 13th, the original, I've always thought, in my head canon, I always thought it was overrated. I always thought that it's one of those things where people know the series, they know Jason, so they assume the first one is some kind of classic. But really what the series is popular for is the stuff in the sequels, not the stuff from the first movie. You don't really think of Mrs. Voorhees. You think of Jason. You think of the hockey mask. Um, you think of space. You think of Manhattan. <laughs> well, okay. You still think of Crystal Lake. But I'm just saying. <laughs> the first movie, it's kind of like part five, A New Beginning. It's a whodunit with a lot of off-screen stuff and a lot of weird stuff. It annoys me when in these Facebook groups you see like there's always all these polls of like, which is the best classic original? It's like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, regardless of what you pick, my point is, Friday the 13th doesn't even belong in the discussion. <laughs> there's two classic horror movies, and it's Friday the 13th. I'm like, just because it's the first in the series, we have to get beyond thinking the first in the series means that it's some kind of classic thing. A sequel can easily be better than the first one, and this series has numerous sequels that are better than this first one that said 
the things I like. I do like some of the cinematography. There's some beautiful shots. The town looks good. Um, once you get to Crystal Lake at night, it's a little bit dark and the lighting's kind of bad, but it's low budget, so I, I get that. Um, the death scenes are well staged because Tom Savini's a, a makeup master. Um, but mostly forgettable characters. And some of the deaths are more off screen. I think I'm going to be generous and give it two stars, being generous. Because I think before watching it today, I was thinking one star, but I can be find the positives. I don't know why people think this is a horror classic. This is not a classic movie. It's mostly forgettable. Two stars. All right, so for me, there's really only two things I liked. A few of the deaths and Betsy Palmer. And it's sad that Betsy Palmer was in the worst part of the damn movie. Um, True. But overall, I did like the I did actually like the darkness feel. It felt more real because in a in a camp setting at night, you're not going to get a whole lot of lighting. True. So I felt I did like how real it felt with that. The score would have added some creepiness to it when it's your first couple of times watching it. After a while, you're just watching it for some form of fun. Or, at the very least, you're just watching it because you're having a marathon of the whole series. Right. Because I'm sorry, not many people are going to think to put this one on when they think Jason Voorhees. Especially with the hardcore fans knowing, well, yeah, it starts off the series, but it's not really the best one to start off with. But I guarantee you, most people who start off with this movie probably didn't even check out the sequels. Well, no, if they do, they're just like, hey, where's the hockey mask guy? (laughs) They're like, hey, we run to the wrong movie. Oh, right. But overall, the acting was so-so. It was 1980s. Probably a lot of actors who were just fresh, either out of college or very first movie, Kevin Bacon. Sitting there giving Kevin Bacon worst performance <laughs> for his first movie role. What's wrong with you? Um, <clears throat> do we forget that you gave Tremors, my favorite Kevin Bacon movie, two stars? This is revenge for that. Fair. Uh, to be fair, it was two and a half. <laughs> But be yeah. honest with you, overall, this movie has a lot of padding. There's a lot of stuff that's inconsequential to the actual setup. This movie really was only a 45-minute watch if you take out all the padding, all the unnecessariness. They could have made a better movie if they'd done the whodunit a little better. So overall, I'm giving this movie a one and a half. It's still decent to watch, but not once a year. Once every leap year. Yeah, which means every four years. That's fair. So, everyone, as always, you don't have to go home, but you got to get off of here because our recorder is dying. It is, but stay tuned for next week because guess what we're doing next week? Friday 13th Part 2! Yes. The sequel. And and then we will not do another Friday 13th until Friday 13th. And the next one has no pocky mask either. Damn it. No, but it has burlap sack, Jason, which is act, which the writers said he wanted to do that because of the thing, the 1970 movie, uh, the town that dreaded sundown. Did he get the burlap from Burlington Co-Factory? No. See you, folks.